speaking a prayer, let's do that right now. Pray with me. Uh, Lord God, as we look at this important topic of marriage, we open your holy word. We open a passage of scripture that's it's a bit difficult to grasp, get our arms around. Uh, we pray for the help of your Holy Spirit that uh, your spirit would be our teacher, God. Some of us, Lord, we, uh, we may not even feel like we need the teaching that we're going to hear today, that it's not applicable to our lives, but we know that your spirit takes your word and brings it home. And so we, we pray that you would do that for every single person sitting here across our four campuses, watching online right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the most dignified man I've ever known was the president of my college. I mean, this dude looked dignified. He had silver hair. I've got hair envy, okay? And he wore dark suits, and he had this tall, ramrod straight posture. He was always poised. He always moved in a stately manner. He, he always chose just the right words for whatever occasion. When he spoke to the student body, his speeches were completely memorized. You'd have to go back to your dorm room, take a dictionary off the shelf, and look up some of the words that he used. Okay. This guy was the epitome of dignity. Even his name was dignified. His name was Dr. Hudson Armerding. Okay, I'll never forget one day I'm walking across the college campus and I see Dr. Armerding and I can't believe my eyes. He's jogging in a sweatsuit. I mean, this was like an activity I just would not have associated with Dr. Armerding. I didn't think the guy sweat. You know, I, I couldn't imagine him exerting himself or being out of breath. I didn't associate Dr. Armerding with jogging, just like I, I wouldn't have associated Dr. Armerding with eating pizza or, or changing the oil in his car or barefoot water skiing. J just like most people don't associate God and sex. It almost sounds irreverent to put those two words together, doesn't it? God and sex. Well, as a matter of fact, that very perspective has almost gotten Song of Songs kicked out of the Bible over the past several thousand years. Some people have considered this Old Testament book just too racy to be included in God's holy word, right? Because Song of Songs is all about romance and making love. And those are not topics we often associate with a dignified God. Some theologians have tried to get around this disconnect by proposing that Song of Songs is not meant to be taken literally, but that it's an allegory. It's a picture of Christ's passionate love for his followers, for the church. But most Bible scholars today don't buy the allegory interpretation. Well, for one thing, they point out, Song of Songs is never mentioned in the New Testament. The New Testament writers never even allude to Song of Songs, which is pretty strange if it's meant to be a picture of Christ's love for us. And besides that, Bible scholars object, Song of Songs doesn't use spiritual-sounding words. It doesn't make sense if it's a spiritual allegory. Just think about it. It's in the middle of the Old Testament, and there is no mention of temple or altar or sacrifices or commandments. There's no mention of miracles or sin or righteousness or even God. Not explicitly. It's one of only two books in the entire Bible in which God's presence is merely implied but never explicitly stated. So it's pretty difficult to spiritualize away Song of Songs. In fact, it's meant to be taken at face value. It is a colorful description of the romantic relationship between two married lovers. 
Let me repeat that. Song of Songs is a colorful description of the romantic relationship between two married lovers. Welcome to the first week of a three-part marriage series, which we are calling Woo, Woo, Romancing Your Spouse. I'm going to give you a little more background on, on Song of Songs, but you may want to turn there in your Bibles. It's right in the middle. You'll find Psalms, and then a couple book late, books later is Song of Songs. And while I do that, you also may want to get out your program and uh, fill in the outline as we go. Now, Song of Songs is one of several Old Testament books that Bible scholars refer to as wisdom literature. The other wisdom literature books include Job, Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. These books grapple with life's big questions, like, why do people suffer? What is God like? How can I find purpose in my work? What's the nature of true romantic love? How can we love well? Well, the Bible's wisdom literature is written in the form of Hebrew poetry. So Song of Songs is love poetry. Not only that, it was put to music. That's why it's called a song. And it's not just any old song. When Hebrew writers wanted to put something in the superlative, they would repeat the same word. This is Song of Songs. This is like the best song. It's a number one chart-topping song, right? So I'm thinking this love song was on all the radio stations in ancient Israel. You know, they've got the earbuds and they're listening to Song of Songs. Wedding receptions, they're dancing to Song of Songs. Now, just uh, one word, one final word of introduction before we jump into it. A Song of Songs is not a, a love ballad type of song uh, that tells a story. It doesn't read like a romance novel. There is no dramatic unfolding of events that leads to a grand finale. It's actually a collection of love poems, a collection that goes round and round and round, repeating the same themes over and over and over again. So for the next three weeks, Sue and I are going to dig deeper into three of those themes. Uh, today's theme is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Next week's theme is sensuality. You won't want to miss that. And then the third week, the theme will be leisure. Now, our, our series is called Woo for a couple of reasons. First, it's called Woo because it's a verb. Woo is a verb that means to romantically pursue a partner. And the truth of the matter is, friends, many of us, after we've been married for five years or 10 years or 25 years or 40 years, we stop romantically pursuing our partner. So the hope we have, Sue and I, as we teach this series, is that we'll be able to put a little woo back into our marriages. The other reason we call it woo is because this book, Song of Songs, it, there's a lot of hot and spicy stuff in Song of Songs. In fact, as we read some of this stuff, you're not going to believe that it's actually in the Bible. As we read it together over the next several weeks, some of you are going to say, woo. All right, in fact, we thought we'd just practice it once. On the count of three, I want to hear your best woo across four campuses and online if you're sitting in your recliner right now. One, two, three, woo. Good. And you might want to, you know, beats amen over the course of the next several weeks if you hear something you like in the sermon. Just let out a woo. So why don't we reserve Song of Songs for a married couples only seminar? Why teach it on a weekend? At a weekend service where our auditoriums are filled not only with married people, but with middle school and high school students and with single people of all ages. 
Well, the fact of the matter is, most of us, even if we're not currently married, and if you're in middle school, I hope you're not currently married, but most of us will eventually be married. And so, so just file, if you're single, file this material away. God obviously feels it's important to communicate. This is what marriage is about, pursuing your spouse romantically. So file it away. The, the other thing I want to say about doing this series at a weekend service is that God has put us in a church, a church body for a reason. We're to care for each other. We're to love each other. We're, we're to seek to understand each other, people who come from various backgrounds. We're to empathize with each other. And so even if you're single, you have a responsibility to empathize with those who are married, and I hope that this series will do that for you. And if you're thinking, well, what about married people empathizing with us single people? Exactly, which is why after we're done with this series, we're going to do a series on singleness. And we hope during that series, you, you who are married grow to have a greater appreciation and empathy and understanding for people among us who are single. Okay, we're ready to look at Song of Songs. And as I said a moment ago, today's topic is faithfulness. So if we want to inject some romance into our marriages, if we want to start wooing our spouses again, we need to pursue them with faithfulness, which is why we're calling today Pursue with Faithfulness. And we're going to look at four pictures in Song of Songs that describe this faithfulness. So if you're filling out your outline, and I hope you will, that it will keep you attentive to God's Word as we teach through Song of Songs. Number one, the first picture is this. It's a picture of the wedding the wedding, and it's a picture of your word, your word. We're going to jump right into the middle of Song of Songs. If you're open to the book, turn to chapter 3. And remember, this isn't a love story that goes from beginning to end. It's a collection of love poems that are cyclical, that are thematic. And so it's okay that we're jumping right into the middle of chapter 3. And as I read a verse to you from chapter 3, I want you to picture a married couple reciting the words of this poem to each other, or perhaps even singing it as a love song to each other. So let me read chapter 3, verse 11. This is the wife speaking. And her lyrics ref reflect the joy of her wedding day as her husband approaches. Here's what she says. Come out and look, you daughters of Zion. Look on King Solomon wearing a crown, the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day his heart rejoiced. This is the word of the Lord. And woo, okay? And woo. Now, who is the groom in this wedding picture described here in verse 11? Who's the groom? Call it out. Solomon. It appears to be King Solomon, right? And, and that's the view that some Bible scholars take of Song of Songs. Uh, they consider it to be a, a collection of love poems set to music that have been composed by King Solomon by King Solomon for his young wife. But other Bible scholars say, well, wait just a minute here. How could any love song written by Solomon or, or even about Solomon be taken seriously? I mean, this is the guy who had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Uh, see, it is concubines. Our kids say porcupines, so I get it mixed up sometimes. <laughs> 700 wives, 300 concubines. Solomon was like the Hugh Hefner of his day, and he's going to teach us about faithfulness? about true love and marriage? Give me a break. I, I happen to agree with that objection, as many Bible scholars do. It doesn't make sense 
to cast Solomon as the leading role of this love song. So as you're reading through Song of Songs, you might ask yourself the question, then why all these references to Solomon? Seven times he's mentioned in Song of Songs. You know, King Solomon, here in chapter 3, verse 11, the wife describes King Solomon as he approaches on their wedding day. Okay, if this isn't about King Solomon, why is his name thrown around like this? That's actually pretty easy to explain. See, in ancient love songs, it's not at all unusual for two lovers to refer to each other with extreme high regard, even as royalty. For a couple to say to each other, for the woman to say to her husband, my king, my prince, and for the guy to say to his gal, my, my queen, my princess. And my family jokes about the fact one of my dad's favorite expressions is, he's a prince of a guy. So if my dad likes you, guys, and you, you seem like a good guy, he'll say, he's a prince of a guy. Well, that, that, that's what scripture is doing. That's what Song of Songs is doing with the references, the frequent references to Solomon. Okay, let me give you a little background about Jewish weddings now. Because we've got to ask ourselves the question, what does this wedding picture have to do with our theme today of faithfulness? So let, let, let me give you some background. The wedding, by the way, is described all the way through chapters 3 and 4. So this wedding flashback that the woman has uh, takes up two chapters in Song of Songs. What does it have to do with faithfulness? Well, marriages back in biblical times were contractual in nature. I mean, two, two families would negotiate the union between our son and your daughter, and they would agree on a bride price. Yeah, you heard me correct. You would pay for your bride, and the, the money would have to be paid up front. And so when the wedding came along, it was the culmination. It was the celebration of this contractual covenantal relationship. And that's why unfaithfulness, that's why adultery was such a serious crime in Old Testament times. It was the breaking of a vow. It was the violating of a contract. It was an assault on basic rules of integrity that held a society together, which is why, according to Leviticus 20, verse 10, adultery was punishable by death. It's not just a case of a married person fooling around. You know, this is a contract that's been violated. Now, 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 a wedding in our culture doesn't come across as the celebration of a contract between two families, but it is supposed to be a time when public promises are made, when vows are made. We give our word. You know, sometimes before hundreds of guests, witnesses that we will love and honor and cherish our spouse, that we will be faithful to them for better or worse till death do us part. How seriously do we take those vows? Now, how big a deal are vows in a wedding these days? You know, if if you, you talk to a friend uh, tomorrow who's been to a wedding this weekend and you say, well, well, what was it like? What will they say to you? They'll tell you what the bride was wearing, right? They'll tell you about the groomsmen that fainted in the middle of the ceremony or about the flowers, or about the music, or the church, or the outdoor location. They'll, they'll tell you about the food at the reception. They'll, they'll tell you about how much money the dad got soaked you know, to spring for this whole event. But how many will say to you, and you should have heard the vows? I mean, this couple promised to be faithful to each other for life. Can you believe that? For those of us who are married, 
How seriously do we take our vows? Now, here's a cool idea. This is a homework assignment for those of you who are married. We're going to give you a little homework along the way, okay? So here's what I want to challenge you to do this week. I want you to take your spouse out for a meal at your favorite restaurant or, or just if you're saving money, just go for a walk in the woods. Bring your smartphone with you. And I want you to call up the vows, the wedding vows. And then hold each other's hands and look in each other's eyes and recite them to each other from your heart like you mean them. Now, I'd encourage you to do this with the traditional vows, not necessarily the these and thous ones, but the, the older, biblically-based vows, because so many of the contemporary vows are sort of lighthearted and they don't get down to the real commitment and the lifelong faithfulness. But this week, your homework assignment, if you're married, you know, look at your spouse right now. If you're sitting next to your spouse, say, we're going to do this. Okay, you're going to recite your vows to each other. Remind yourself of your commitment to faithfulness. Okay, not in a lighthearted way, but in a sincere way. Now, and never forget an episode from the Bob Newhart show years ago. I love that you know, old-style comedy, dry, and uh, you know, they, they were doing a reenactment of their wedding vows. In fact, they had hired a minister and rented a church, and they had guests come, and you know, Bob Newhart's wife goes first, and uh, she reads uh, wedding vows that she had made to him years before, a long list of commitments, and she gets done, you know, with this extensive list of commitments to him, and now it's Bob's turn, and he looks at her, and he says, ditto. <laughs> so guys, when you do this, this week, okay, no ditto, all right? Speak your vows from your heart. The first picture is of a wedding. And a wedding is a picture of our word. Well, there's a second picture of our faithfulness in Song of Songs. Number two, the banner. The banner, a picture of our warning. Turn with me to Song of Songs chapter 2 and follow along as I read verses 3 and 4. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall, and let his banner over me be love. Let his banner over me be love. I want to tell you a story about a time where uh, Jim hung out a banner for me. Now, this is back in the day when we were dating in college. And I decided to pull a prank on Jim. Don't ask me why, but I bought this Mickey Mouse kite. And I hit it and um, wanted to make Jim go on a treasure hunt for this crazy gift. And I put clues all over the campus. But the first clue, I asked a guy friend to go into the men's room in the student union building and tape it under the bathroom sink. So I wrote Jim a love note. He found it in the post box. He read it, and it said, clue number one is in the men's room. And he did not believe that for a minute. How did I get in there and put a clue? But he was curious enough. And he told me later that he walked in there and he's nonchalantly kind of combing his hair in the mirror. This is back when he had hair. <laughs> you have to use your imagination. And he dropped his comb, oops, and he picked it up and looked under the sink and sure enough, there is my clue. So he went on this wild goose chase all over campus and he found this Mickey Mouse kite. Well, Jim is not one to be outdone. He's a little competitive. So he went out and bought a big poster board, and he wrote a poem on it. 
Sue McCune, my maiden name, you make me swoon. It's not exactly Song of Songs quality, but it, it's a poem. It rhymed. So he ran upstairs to the second story window of the student union building, building and put out the poster board and the kite where everyone could see. So classes let out. I'm walking down the sidewalk, and there's this sign, Sue McCune, you make me swoon. And I'm mortified. I'm like beat red. Everybody's looking at me. But deep down, I loved it. I mean, I couldn't believe that he would honor me and declare me publicly that I, I was his woman. Well, the young wife in Song of Songs 2-4 says, let him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. Now, you need to understand in Old Testament times, a banner is what marked an army or a group of people or a family. It identified them. It, if it flew over your head, it meant you belonged to those people. And this young wife was proud to be identified as belonging to her husband. And he, too, wanted the world to know, she's my woman. I'm her man. In fact, words very similar to that make up a special refrain that repeats three times in Song of Songs. Look at chapter 2, verse 16. My beloved is mine, and I am his. Chapter 6, verse 3. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Chapter 7, verse 10. I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. Those are banner words, my friends. Those are words of belonging and there are words that warn, they warn intruders to stay away. You know, our marriage is private property, no trespassing. Let me ask you a question. Is that what you let other people know? Is that what you let other people know? Friends, if we're not careful, we can easily send a message to members of the opposite sex that say, hmm, I'm available. We can do this by the way we dress, by our body language, by our eye contact. We can do it by the jokes we laugh at or tell or flirtatious comments. So easy to do. Some years ago, I went out with a single woman friend of mine, and it was a season of life when I had misplaced my wedding ring, and I didn't have it on. So she and I walked into this restaurant out onto the patio, and there's a DJ playing music out there. And he did one of these lean into the microphone give us the up and down and go, well, hello, ladies. And I do mean ladies in this wolfish voice. And we're like, oh, not interested. <laughs> but it dawned on me how easy it is to send that message without even trying. You know, I'm available. If you want to restore romance in your marriage, you've got to wave a different banner. If you want to restore romance in your marriage, you've got to wave a different banner, a banner that says, I belong to my beloved, and he belongs to me. You send a warning, especially at work or at the gym. I'm off limits to anybody else. Your turn, my beloved. This is, yeah, that's the appropriate place for the woo, all right? <laughs> okay, third picture. Third picture is the garden, and it's a picture of watchfulness. 
Go to Song of Songs chapter 4. The garden motif pops up 20 times in Song of Songs. By the way, I hope at some point over the next three weeks, if you're married, you sit down and you read through Song of Songs. 20 times this garden motif, these two married lovers make reference after reference to either a garden or a vineyard or an orchard. Now, sometimes the reference they make, it describes quite literally a patch of ground, a garden where you grow flowers and fruit and it's a great place for two lovers to stroll. But other times there's a double meaning, a double entendre to these references. Garden is used metaphorically. Garden, for example, could describe a place of spiritual well-being, a place of spiritual well-being. You'll recall that at the beginning of time, the first married couple, Adam and Eve, were placed in the Garden of Eden. And they not only had a great relationship with each other, but they enjoyed intimate fellowship with God, spiritual well-being. Garden could also describe a place of sexual enjoyment, a place of sexual enjoyment. Come into my garden was an invitation to make love. More about that next week. Hope you're writing down. Be sure to come to church next week. So with this broader understanding of what garden means in Song of Songs, let me read chapter 4 verse 12 to you. This is the man speaking to the woman and he says, you are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed. You are a sealed fountain. Now, why does this guy refer to his young wife repeatedly as locked up, enclosed, sealed? I mean, one of the basic rules of Bible study, Bible interpretation that I've taught you, is when you see a repeating word or idea, when it pops up several times in the same verse or same paragraph, you should ask, what, what, what important truth is God trying to communicate here? Because he's saying it a variety of ways. So so what is the truth here? Some Bible scholars believe that the husband who is speaking in this verse is referring to the time period before he and his wife were married. You know, back then, his fiancée, she had carefully protected her virginity. She had been a garden locked up, meaning she hadn't slept with anybody. She was saving herself for her future husband. And that commitment, by the way, it went both ways. He had been committed to saving himself for her. Now, do single people do that anymore? Well, they do if they're Christ followers who want to live in obedience to God's word. And if if you're single and you're determined to follow Jesus, then you don't care if you're out of step with the rest of culture. If God says to save sex for marriage, then God must have a good reason for it. I don't know if you've followed all the flack that uh, Tim Tebow has gotten in the the last year or two. Uh, Tim, as many of you know, is a, a former football star. He's currently a baseball player. I think he plays with the Mets these days if he's still on the roster. But about a year ago, he broke up with his girlfriend. Tim's a faithful Christ follower, and according to the reports, his girlfriend, who at the time was Olivia Culpo, the former Miss America, she was upset with him because he would not have sex with her unless they got married. And oh my goodness, the headlines, the banner sports headlines about this, they had a field day with it. 
You know, Tim Tebow, he fumbled the ball. Tim Tebow, he can't get it into the end zone. Uh, Tim Tebow, he has a hard time scoring. On and on it went. But see, Tim Tebow just believes what Song of Song teaches about God's, God's plan for sexual enjoyment. The sexual enjoyment is to be protected by the commitment of a lifelong marriage. And, and when we disobey God in that regard, what, what results? You disobey God in that, in that regard and it may result in an unplanned uh, pregnancy. It may result in an STD. It may result in an emotional bond to someone. You physically bond and then you break up with that person. Let me tell you, the emotional bond continues. It may result in memories that you can't shake, and so one day you get married and you're making love to your spouse, and memories of past lovers flood your mind. It, it, it may result in the temptation to unfaithfulness once you're married because you didn't say no to sex with other people before you got married. Why are you suddenly going to be monogamous after you get married? See, this is all stuff that God wants to protect us from. Just, just a quick word to those of you who did not keep your garden under lock and key uh, before you were married, or maybe even since you've been married, your garden has not been under lock and key. God forgives. God forgives and God gives a fresh start, but you've got to come to him in genuine repentance and brokenness and say, I want to change. And if you're wondering how to make that change, we just finished a four-part series here at Christ Community Church just before this series began called Restoration, How to Break with Old Habits, How to Begin New God-Honoring Habits in Our Lives. God wants to restore you. If this is an area of your life in which you've struggled, God wants to restore you. In fact, I would recommend as well our Tuesday night care night has got some great groups for people who struggle in the area of sexual temptation. So Jim has been talking about the perspective from a premarital uh, picture of a locked garden. But Song of Songs also has something to say about us guarding our garden after we've been married. So turn to chapter 2, verse 15. When we looked at the picture of the banner, I told you the banner should say that we belong exclusively to our spouse. Our banner should warn intruders, other people that were not available. Well, Song of Songs 2.15 describes a different kind of intruder that we need to watch out for. Listen to this verse. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, are vineyards that are in bloom. Now remember, when Song of Songs talks about vineyards or gardens or orchards, it's describing the spiritual well-being and the sexual enjoyment that God intends for a married couple. But Song of Songs 2.15 tells us there's some little foxes that can sneak into the vineyard. And if we're not watchful, it can ruin all that good stuff. Well, what are these little foxes? It doesn't really specify, does it? It doesn't identify them, but it does say that they are little. That these are things that can start out small, insignificant, not a big deal, rather harmless. But if we do not eliminate them, they can create havoc and spoil the spiritual well-being and the sexual enjoyment in marriage. They undermine our faithfulness. So what are some examples of little foxes that can do this? I'm going to throw out three or four ideas just to get you thinking. What about busyness? 
busyness, our schedules as married couples can be packed so full that we don't have time or energy for spiritual or sexual or relational intimacy with each other. Some time ago, Jim read a news blurb in a magazine to me I thought was very interesting. It's about a Swedish politician who proposed that his country's workers receive a paid hour-long break each day to go home and have sex. Really? He said every day, woo, yeah. Everyday life is stressful, and sex is becoming a scarce commodity in our long-term relationships. And he's right. He's right. I bet that guy got the vote the next year, right? <laughs> Frankly, ever since Jim read the article to me, I've been kind of looking out the window middle of the day, <laughs> waiting, you know. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I guess the church staff didn't get the memo. I don't know. <laughs> Watch out for this little fox of busyness, right? By the way, Jim and I are going to do an entire sermon on enjoying leisure time together, the third week of this series, to be continued. Here's another little fox, or not so little, porn. Porn, whether it is the hardcore variety that you can find on a bazillion websites, whether it's softcore porn that you see a love scene in an R-rated movie, it is everywhere. And it can creep into our lives like a little fox, but it will become an enormous monster. It will destroy spiritual well-being and sexual enjoyment in your marriage. And you have heard Jim talk over and over about the importance of having a filter on every electronic device that you have giving your wife the sole password to it. And I would add to that because I've seen the damage done not only to marriages but to whole families. If that little fox has crept into your marriage, you want to seek out Christian counseling. You want to get accountability right now. You want to show up on Tuesday nights to Care Night where they're honest and they're humble and they're, they're teaming up together to fight this little fox. Other little foxes, what about unresolved conflict? It is so easy to have a fight and then do a slow burn and give each other the silent treatment. But that is like poison in a relationship, right? This is a little fox that destroys the vineyard. What about this one? Making our kids number one priority. Hmm, that's a little fox, friends. And in spring, when soccer and baseball and all their activities and shopping for prom dresses, piano lessons, you name it, it is easy to let the marriage go on the back burner and neglect each other. And in fact, the best gift you can give your children is to love each other and make your marriage a number one priority. But it's a temptation. And I'm telling you, even as a grandma, even when my grandkids are far away, I can be on Instagram all the time. I can be FaceTiming grandma's little foxes and talking to them and ignoring Jim <laughs> or not including him. So here's the question. If you're married, what are the little foxes that create havoc in your marriage? Okay, this is your homework assignment. Maybe before you say those vows to each other, you say, okay, what are the little foxes that, that inhibit spiritual fellowship and sexual enjoyment in our relationship? Be watchful.
Okay, you're jotting this down? You got two homework assignments, vows and uh, identifying the little foxes in your relationship. Here's a fourth picture from Song of Songs, final picture of faithfulness. It's the seal, the seal. And this is a picture of your will. And I want you to turn with me to Song of Songs chapter 8. Uh, I'm going to read a couple of verses. These two verses are considered to be the climax, the highlight of this love song. Uh, one Bible scholar writes that these verses praise the unconquerability of love in the face of all its foes. I love that word, the unconquerability of love. So here are the verses, verses 6 and 7 of Song of Songs, chapter 8. Place me like a seal over your heart, the guy says to his woman, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. You know, I'll take love, forget all this wealth. You know, they say that there are only uh, two things in this life that are certain, right? Death and taxes. Well, the writer of Song of Songs, he would add something to that short list. He would say something else that is certain and sure is the love between a husband and wife. The love between a husband and wife, it's as strong as death. It's as unyielding as the grave. It burns like a, a blazing fire. Even a flood can't quench it. Now, does that describe your love for your spouse? Some of you are saying, well, sometimes I feel that way, and, and other times I don't. But friends, this isn't about a feeling. This is about willing. See, feelings fluctuate, but wills prevail. I will, I will stay in my marriage with Sue. I will work at making this the best marriage it can be. This is a commitment on my part. This is a come heck or high water determination. You know, I'm in this marriage for keeps. Now, the Bible does say, and aside here, the Bible does say that there are some exceptions for which God permits divorce. If there's been sexual immorality, if, if there's been abandonment, then, you know, there may be an out. But otherwise, God says, I'm in. And if problems arise in this marriage, I'm to figure out how to fix them with his help. Yeah, years ago, Ruth Graham, the wife of evangelist, world-famous evangelist Billy Graham, she said, in all our years of marriage, the thought of divorce has never once entered my mind. She said, I've thought of, of murder a couple of times, but, you know. <laughs> We're in this for keeps. Are, are, we, are we committed to our marriages for life? Are we committed to making those marriages the best marriages they can be? See, this is what our wedding ring is all about, Right? It's a circle. It doesn't have an end to it because marital love, genuine marital love, doesn't quit. The Song of Songs 8, verse 6, one of the verses I just read to you. The guy says to his wife, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. And married friends, let me say to you, if the romance has, has gone out of your marriage, don't wait until you feel the love again. Start willing the love. Start acting like you love your spouse. Start seeking God's help. Ask God to give you his love for your spouse. You know, God's, God's love is not a, a wishy-washy feeling, sentimental sort of love. God's love is a willing love. 
And Romans 5 verse 8 describes it this way. It says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were despicable, while, while we were pushing God away, holding him at arm's length, Christ died for us. So if you're having trouble in your marriage loving your spouse, this is where we call out to God and we, we say, I need your love. And if you've tasted that love, if you've surrendered your life to Christ and, and he's come to live on the inside of your life, his love is now available to you, the kind of love that loves other people, especially your spouse, come what may. In just a moment, we're going to sing a closing song. I'm going to ask our bands at each of our four campuses to come on stage and you know, get ready to lead us in a song that reminds us that Christ is the foundation of our lives. He's the cornerstone. If you're, you're having struggles in the faithfulness of your, your, your marriage right now, he's the one that can make you faithful. He's the one that can restore you know, the, the things that are, that are broken if we'll turn to him. Today we've looked at four pictures of faithfulness. If we want to restore romance to our marriage, we've got to pursue our spouse with faithfulness. Picture number one was the wedding. The wedding is a picture of our word. We say our vows. We make our promises before others. And God holds us to those promises. We're determined to keep them. And picture number two is the banner, a picture of your warning. I am my beloved's and he is mine. Picture number three was the garden. You know, the picture of our watchfulness. We're looking out for those little foxes, trying to keep them from spoiling the vineyard so that we enjoy, we enjoy a spiritual and sexual relationship with our spouse. And then picture number four is the seal. It's a picture of your will, a picture of your determination to stay in that marriage and make it everything God wants it to be.